If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com 1212 This is our number 2 of the World According to Zig podcast for this December 31st, 2017. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. This being our number 2. Traditionally, this is our hour where we have a special guest. We're lucky that this week we were able to do that and he's one of our very favorites. We check in with him about uh once every quarter or so he is a very good friend of mine he's the democratic congressman from Louisville Kentucky where he and I used to uh do a television show together called the Yarmouth and Ziggler and now he's been good enough to come on this podcast on numerous occasions and he joins us again right now congressman John Yarmouth welcome back to the podcast Thank you John, great to be with you. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year to you. I'm always looking forward to our, our quarterly uh visit with uh, Congressman Yarmouth and there's tons of things to talk about. Uh let uh, by the way, how's the uh, global warming treating you there in Louisville this weekend? <laughs> Well, the climate change is uh, <laughs> not something that I actually am um, happy about. <laughs> <laughs> not, not too much golf this weekend or this week in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, no, the, I, need, I need to be uh, down there playing with uh, as much as Donald Trump is. <laughs> well, you're always welcome here in Southern California, John. <laughs> I, I appreciate uh, it. I'll be playing golf as soon as this interview is over. Oh. Uh, um, all right, so let's talk about some, some more uh, serious stuff, um, and let's talk about uh the the tax reform bill that became law over the last couple of weeks uh, you and the rest of the democratic party uh, voted against it mm-hmm. um there there are elements of this though and and I'm I I'm as you know John I'm an anti-Trump uh, conservative yeah. I'm curious what your your perspective is on on my take and my take of this is well I'm glad that taxes are being reduced But I I'm wondering what happened to fiscal responsibility? Uh what happened to, you know, reducing uh forget about reducing the debt or the deficit. Uh but it it feels to me like a lot of this is effectively taking out a loan on our great-grandchildren or our grandchildren at a fairly bad interest rate, uh <laughs> all, all uh, in an effort to try to salvage what has been a disastrous uh, first year legislatively. Uh, what what you what do you make of that take? No, I think you're absolutely right. That's one of one of a number of things that are just kind of just horrendous about this uh this uh now law and they because there are there are good reasons to in in my opinion to incur additional debt um when you're actually investing it in things that over the long term will help the the society be more productive and and will make people be more productive. but basically to give tax cuts to corporations uh which i think every expert says will not result in significant growth in the economy uh is the wrong way to do it and uh you know what you know there there's so many things you could have done with that 1.5 trillion dollars we could have rebuilt every defective bridge in the country we could have paid off everybody's student loans we could have paid for community college for virtually everybody who wanted it so again if you're going to incur additional debt uh make it so that it's uh, it, it, there is a return on that uh that investment later on and i don't think there'll be any return from this or minimal return anyway and to be clear i mean you're the the ranking member on the budget committee 
so so you're you know the perfect person to ask this. There is no expectation at all that in conjunction with this tax cut will be spending cuts, right? Well, I think Paul Ryan expects that. <laughs> but I mean, but in real, in the real world, John, I mean, in the real world, it is unlikely to happen because you know, once you, when you're talking about spending cuts, particularly of that magnitude, you're talking about spending cuts in programs that are really um, kind of the, the third rail of American politics, Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security, because those or defense. And each of those has incredibly strong constituencies that are just not going to, it's just impossible to do it politically. So in reality, there's, there's no question that even if in the wildest uh, positive expectations of conservatives that, you know, that tax cutting creates more stimulation of the economy and jobs and therefore more revenue for government. Under the, the most optimistic projections, this is still going to be a huge negative to the bottom line of the budget, right? I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah. You know, the, the estimates are really that it's when you include the interest that's going to be have to pay have to be paid on the additional 1.5 trillion, you're actually talking about well in excess of 2 trillion dollars over the next 10 years. And uh it, so again, it makes no sense on on any level except a a political both a political uh mandate for the Republicans and also a donor mandate from the Republicans. Well, I'm curious <laughs> Um, I know you guys talk a lot, you know, in, in the cloakroom, what have you. Uh, is there, was there any angst among those real conservatives that are left in Congress that, that, that they were voting for something that at its core is not really conservative? Was there any of that? I think there was a lot of angst. And to be honest, you know, I, I, I kind of the, the analogy I can think of or the metaphor is there are a bunch of conservative refs who swallowed their whistle mm. on this one. And. It really makes no sense to me. I mean, I know Mark Meadows relatively well. Mark's a really, really good guy. You know, we obviously are very, very different politically. Right. But for but for him and the the Freedom Caucus to look at this and and buy the the the, the, the fake uh, the fake economics that um, some were arguing was, was just kind of astounding to me. So there there is still there's still a few conservatives who behind closed doors are willing to say this is bullcrap. I mean, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And you you even heard uh, Marco Rubio, and I, I wouldn't even put him in that category of being a real hardcore conservative. Said there's no, this didn't make any sense, and we shouldn't have been giving corporations big cuts. Well, let me ask you about the corporation cut for a second, um, mm-hmm. because. You know, I, I get the concept of reducing the corporate rate, and and in in theory, you know, the hope is you're going to bring corporations back to the United States, or at least stem the flow from them leaving the United States because of that very high rate. I, I think that that rate has been too high for too long. Although I think there could have been a better way to to reduce it. But my confusion about this, John, and I'm, I'm guessing you're going to share it, is yeah, it's reduced. But I don't think it's reduced enough to change anyone's behavior because it's it's still too high in comparison, like Ireland, which you and I are both very familiar with. I mean, right. if, if you're in Ireland right now to, to avoid taxes, what's the incentive to come back? There is no incentive. Yeah, our, our, the Irish rate's twelve percent, and and there are many other countries that have lower than that. You you make a really good point, and I read a a really compelling piece several weeks ago. And it was an argument about reducing the corporate rate to zero. And the theory being that then you would have an incentive for everybody to move here. Right. <laughs> and it was, it was a pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting argument. I haven't done the math. That's way beyond my capabilities, even as the ranking Democrat the budget committee. <laughs> I still don't have to do a lot of math. But, <laughs> but, but you're right. To, to cut it to 21% when the, when the effective rate currently is, a, is 18 18 or so, that um, doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And, and there's a significant argument when you go to the territorial system, which means you pay taxes at the rate where you earn them, uh, there's still an incentive for certain companies to move their jobs uh, and their facilities overseas. Really? Wow. That's yeah. depressing. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, uh, now, with all that said, all, all that is confusing to me. The part that has me absolutely stupefied is – the repeal of the Obamacare individual mandate and how nobody, nobody that I could tell 
made us think about this. I even texted you about this, and you, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't respond, which is unusual <laughs> for you. Uh, so let's take this in pieces. Okay. I- explain to me how this happened without anybody making a big deal out of it. Well, I mean, there were a lot of us screaming about it, but it was, it was one of those things that where it's, it's, in today's world, it's just kind of hard to get traction on any message if you're not Donald Trump. And so the, we weren't getting through, and, and there were so many objections to the, um, to the tax bill that, you know, when everybody, anybody raised that one, it was, it was not as, okay. not as loud, well, I guess. But you, not, underst- um, you understand my confusion, right? I mean, because when, when the individual mandate went to the Supreme Court, th- that was treated as if it was the, the, the decision of the century, this, that it was determined to be constitutional. And now it goes away, and I guarantee you the vast majority of the country doesn't even know it's going away. Well, that's probably true. I mean, we talked a lot about how this bill was, you know, 13 million people were going to lose insurance. Um, that number we kept repeating. But I'm not sure that people necessarily put the, connected the dots on that one. Well, these aren't that difficult to connect. Oh. <laughs> I mean, even for, even for the news media, I, I mean, I, I, I was just absolutely stunned that, that the Obama, the, the essence, the, the, the thing that holds Obamacare together to the extent that it's being held together is, is removed. And, and no one even, I know you guys tried. I mean, you say you yeah. tried. But for, by and large, it never even broke through in the debate among the, about the bill itself. And, um, and, and so let's take the next piece. Yeah. A- am I right? Because it's my view and that, that when this thing goes away, and it goes away, it's interesting to me that there's a one-year delay on this going away, which I want to ask you about politically. But when this goes away in 2019, in, in my view, I, I see no – I'm not an expert in this. That's part of what I'm asking you. But based upon what I understand, there is no possible way for our health care system to not implode. Is that is that a fair assessment on my part? Um, there is there is no way that the individual market does not collapse. The individual insurance market. Okay. And yeah. s- And so because, then. So, okay. Because if you have if you have what's called uh, you know guaranteed issue, which means you're you uh, have an absolute right to buy insurance, no matter how sick you are, and and healthy people don't have to buy insurance then the only people who will buy insurance are the sickest ones, which means the insurance companies will, will not insure them because every person they take on will be a guaranteed loss. Okay. And, so and that so, eliminates the insurance, the, the individual insurance market effectively. Okay. And so, and then... Which is about 6% of the people in the country. And that's why I say, yeah, that, that's, it's a very small percentage of the country, uh, but it, it is it's still... Okay, but six percent of okay, the people. All right, but w- would there not then be a domino effect from that, though? There would be a domino effect because because everybody's insurance rates would probably go up um, because insurance companies would be looking for other areas of to make money. They try to figure out other ways to get groups in. Uh, so yeah, I think everybody's rates would go up. Um, the private insurance market would. Still be in existence, but I, I think one of the things that, of course, Donald Trump doesn't understand, but the people who voted for that is, they are essentially guaranteeing the eventuality of single payer health care. Can you because, please can you please repeat that because that's what I've been screaming for for months. Yeah, so, they, say say what you just said again because people okay. need to understand this. I will use a different word than eventuality. They are they are guaranteeing the inevitability of single payer health care by destroying the individual market because those people will end up being probably a lot of them will end up being in Medicaid and but the government will end up paying more uh, to subsidize insurance and which means the government's going to be a, bit, a, a bigger and bigger participant in the insurance market. You know, my argument is we're already in a single payer system. It's just poorly organized. When mm-hmm. you think about when you think about the fact that we you've got Medicare, Medicaid, uh, Tricare, and 
VA, the Veterans Administration, which are already fully government paid, and then you use the tax system to subsidize all the, the um, employer-based insurance, which is 150 or so million people. So you're subsidizing them through the tax code, but you're still subsidizing them because it's not taxable income to the individual and the, and the corporations get to, get to deduct it. So we essentially already have a government-funded Right. Healthcare system. Okay, but just to be clear, just to be 100%, not that you haven't been, but just to be 100% clear, because this is really important to me, is that, that you believe that either wittingly or unwittingly, Donald Trump has set the stage to ensure that we are headed for a single-payer system in this country. Absolutely. I don't think there's any question about it. All right. And, and so when the timing of this is going to be very important, and it's somewhat unpredictable, but do you have or does does your Democratic caucus have an estimate on how long it's going to take for these dominoes to fall. Because obviously if they fall before the next presidential election or after, that could be a very big difference in how it's handled. So is there, is there a sense of that? No, I don't think anybody believes it'll be within the next three years. Okay. Uh, I think it's a little bit longer than that, but I don't think it's a lot longer than that. And you have, you have a, uh, a kind of a parallel dynamic going on, and that is, Corporations are getting uh, more and more frustrated with the employer-based system, and I'm convinced that within five years or so, you're going to see major corporations demanding single-payer, that they're going to say, we can't do this anymore. And I've talked to a number of Fortune 500 CEOs who have said that, and so I, I don't think it's going, to, it's going to emerge from the political system so much as uh, the people who are now footing the bill for most of it. One of the many things that just baffles me about the conservative quote-unquote conservative love for Donald Trump, is that people forget that early on in the presidential campaign, he was on record in favor of the single-payer system. He certainly was. And, and, and he said that everyone's going to have health care and the government's going to pay for it. And, That's right. Um, and, and conservatives were like, oh, okay, great. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> what, what world are we living in here? What, what, what is going on? And that, of course, was just the beginning of the, the Alice in Wonderland world in which we're, we're living now. But, for, but, but politically, John, so, you know, the president has already said, I'm sure you saw, that he's, 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 he's ready to work with Democrats on a health care fix. But what was your reaction to that, by the way? Um, it was a spit take. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, I, my reaction to everything Donald Trump says is about the same. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I just really don't pay much attention to it. Okay, but... He, he doesn't have any idea what he's talking about. So I just okay, but I understand why you think that. But in this realm, though, John, I, I you know, and I've I've put this scenario to you before, and I think it's yeah. at very much in play today. You guys take the House in 2018, and who knows, maybe even the Senate. Although the numbers there don't work as well for you, but it's still, you know, given what happened in Alabama, it's 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 certainly possible. Right. And, and and so now, you know, you got a president who wants to sign single-payer, you know, philosophically, who's, who's going to be in the middle of at least the beginning of a health care crisis, right? I mean, it's going to be right. clear by that point that something is, is amiss. Isn't that going to be tempting for you guys to go, hey, we, we can get this done? I mean, or, or, or is there so much resistance to Trump uh, politically that it's just a non-starter? I think if, if, if we're in the majority, either in the House or in, in both the House and Senate, and Trump shows a willingness to actually be bipartisan or to work with us, uh, we would see it as a real opportunity. I think, I think most of our people who have had the opportunity to talk with the president, and there are not a lot of them, uh, but they believe that Trump believes that bipartisanship is when Democrats agree with him. Hmm. So you not, think, when, not, not when he listens to Democrats. Well, but see, again, philosophically, John, and we, and granted, he doesn't really have a philosophy. It changes, right. you know, on what, yeah. day, on what day it is. But to me, I, I have always felt that if he has any, any core at all politically, that it's much more liberal than it is conservative, uh, uh, you know, just by virtue of the fact that he's been in New York his whole life. I mean, it's almost right. by, by definition. So, so to me, I... I you know, I, I'm, that's always been the great question to me. Is it do you guys decide that Trump is an opportunity, as I think you referred to it, mm -hmm. a, a, to get what you want? Or do you just say, you know what, no one wants to work with the guy because we can't trust him. He's politically toxic and we'll just work with the next president and do it then. Um, you know, I, to me, the timing of all this is going to be 
very key, and it's and it's, and it's also very unpredictable. I mean, you, you know, we don't yeah. know when this ticking time bomb is going to go off. We don't know how the economy is going to go. I mean, you know, and frankly, you know, if the stock market ever returns to to earth, uh, you know, that's going to change a lot of things right there. Um, yeah. You know, because a lot, you know, because people are making projections now on a fantasy world. In in my world, in my view, I don't know if you agree with that. I mean, do do you do you feel like we're in a bubble right now? I don't think there's any question about it, and the and the bubble is largely, I think, a result of the fact that there is nowhere for money to go other than right. the stock market. And once interest rates get up to where, and and they're starting to creep up, where you can get three or four percent or five percent on your money, then I think you're going to see a lot of money out of the stock market because it's so high. It just it makes me very nervous when something is going continually up with without even the normal pullbacks. I mean, along the way. Uh, and the numbers now are just astonishing, but um, you know. Heck- oh yeah, and the and the, the you know getting ridiculously uh, sounding like CNBC or something. But uh, when you're talking about price earnings ratios of forty and fifty times, right? Um, you know, there's just no way to justify that. Although, although you could historically make, anyway. Well, you could make an argument though that with the corporate tax rate going down, that those that those ratios are going to be adjusted at least. In the short run, but mm-hmm. yeah, in the uh, short run, probably so. Um, uh, now let's talk about the the New York Times interview. I mean, it's we've gone through this many times before. Where oh my gosh, you know, Trump has said some crazy things, and uh, isn't, <laughs> and isn't this amazing? Although I think this New York Times interview was a little bit different. Uh, frankly, I, I thought it was pretty. Uh, what did you make of the the image of Trump at his golf course in the grill room, just deciding on the spur of the moment to give a half hour uh, interview to the New York Times with no aides around? I mean, is that that's what was your reaction to that? Other than a spit take, I thought, wow, that's great. <laughs> I mean, you know, as a former journalist, that what a, what a great opportunity. Uh, <laughs> And I, and I think it was in a way, even though, you know, he's, Mike Schmidt's been under a lot of fire for not asking pointed questions. I get it. I don't think it, I don't think you could really ask him pointed questions. I don't think it would make any difference. But just, just to hear him ramble, um, for 30 minutes or so, uh, knowing that it was on the record was a real interesting thing to experience. So I, you know, I was glad he did it, but I don't think he helped himself with it. What, what, what do you think the headline from that was? What was the thing that you took away? I, I think the most disturbing comment was that the Justice Department does anything he wants it to. No, I agree with that. I mean, I, I agree. But don't you think, though, that putting you – know, granted, one of the, my great fears about the Trump presidency that w- is that we would be desensitized to the insanity. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, oh, absolutely. And I think we have been. I mean, that's an insane thing for a president to say. Yeah. But but when you put that through the prism of understanding Trump, isn't that Trump just being Trumpy? I mean, isn't that just him, you know, bragging and and claiming to have more power than he really does? And that and, and that when push comes to shove, uh, he's really not going to act on that. I mean, I know that's that's a dangerous. There's danger in that, but that's my that was my sense of it. Do you, do you disagree with that? I don't disagree with it, I, and I. I dearly hope you're right. <laughs> and, well, I, and I think you probably are, because I think, you know, Trump is clearly a bully. Bullies clearly uh, never actually follow through on what they're going to they, right. do. So, yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Um, but what, you know, the disturbing thing is that he he has so little understanding of the job he's, he's uh, actually supposed to be doing no i i get i'm not i'm not trying to diminish the nuttiness of the comment but to your point about the bully i mean if you look at his history he's gotten rid of a ton of people uh but never really fired anybody he's always he's he's always had someone else do it and 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 jeff sessions is somehow still around even though (laughs) you know supposedly he was going to fire him seven months ago or whatever it was. So to me, I, I have always felt that Trump at his core is a wuss. I, I really, yeah. I, 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 no. I, you agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. So, and so, so I don't think he's going to have the balls to fire Robert Mueller or if he, even if he thought he could, I'm not sure he, I don't think he can directly, but who knows? But I mean, the, the reality is I, I just don't think he's going to have the guts to do that. I, but I acknowledge that it's dangerous for a president to be, saying that to begin with. Now, there's another part of that interview, though, and you as a former newspaper uh, owner and writer, 
Uh, I'm fascinated to hear your take on it because I wrote a column that Trump is actually right in one of the key elements of the interview that got mocked roundly. And that is his view that the media needs him and that they might even want him to be reelected because he's so good for their business and for their ratings. Uh, what did you take? What was your take on that? Well, I read your column. Oh, you did? Oh. Well, yeah, I do prep for about these, <laughs> these discussions a little bit. And I think the most important line of your column was the last one, which actually asked the question, what could, what could the media do right. at this point with him? And, you know, are they going to make up false positives, <laughs> fake news positives? No, that's impossible. And you can't actually report much positive about him unless he dramatically changes. So I think you're probably right that the, the bean counters at, um, the, at Viacom and at um, Comcast and whoever the corporations are that own all these uh, would feel that way. And I, to a certain extent, I think the reporters would, too, because it's, uh, it's, it's a lot more interesting to cover Trump than it would be Hillary. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's absolutely no doubt that the, 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 the daily life of a of a reporter of a political reporter is far easier and more interesting and more lucrative because Donald Trump is president than if Hillary Clinton had been president. Absolutely, there's no question about that. And yeah, Katie Tour and Hallie Jackson and Casey Hunt and a myriad of others. You notice I mentioned all the MSNBC reporters, right? But there are all their careers have been made by Donald Trump, right? And and the reality is that the media is in trouble. News media, especially, is in trouble financially. Their business model is broken, and Trump is basically steroids—a temporary steroid injection. And, <laughs> and as I joke in the in the column, I mean, going to a Mike Pence presidency would be death. I mean, I mean, I mean and, which is why I do. I just do not believe, and we'll get to this shortly. But I just don't believe that Trump will ever be removed from office unless something catastrophic happens. Uh, because no one, it's in no one's interest uh, to get rid of him, and especially the news media. So I think in that point he is right, and I, I think it's important to, to, to mention that. Now, as far as, though, John, you said, what could the media do? And I do end the column by saying, you know, as they proved in 2016, the media doesn't have the same power that they, right. they used to have, and there's some good and some bad in that. But there's one element that they could, where they could do it, and that is how strongly they vet whoever is opponent is and because as you know very well and this is one of the things i never thought trump was going to be able to do but basically because of his celebrity he was there is a threshold in the minds of most americans that a presidential candidate must go past in regard to stature or whatever for them to be a potential president now i never thought trump was going to be able to pass through that threshold but i i think that the i think frankly the media helped him in that by giving him so much coverage that psychologically people thought, well, he must be a really big deal because mm -hmm. otherwise you wouldn't give him this much coverage. And if he's that big of a deal, he's of presidential timber, even though he's not. Um, so, so, my, so there is the potential that depending on who you guys nominate – they, the media could be far more uh, you know, hard on them than they might normally be because depending on who that is, like if it's a boring person, if, yeah. if, you know, if it's Paul Songus reincarnated, uh, you know, then uh, they're going to destroy that person. You, you, know, you, you see yeah, that? As I, well, that's, yeah, potentially that, that could happen. All right, so in, yeah. in that realm, so I, I, I prepped you for this because yes. uh, I, I knew it would be unfair to ask you without any preparation. Uh, so I'm going to make you uh, the uh, the head of the Democratic Party with no primaries. Okay, there are okay. no there are no primaries in 2020, and your one job, John, is to pick a nominee who beats Donald Trump. Uh, that's the only goal you got. You know, that someone who's a Democrat who who would beat Donald Trump. Who would be your number one pick? Joe Biden. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay, I you know that's not a bad pick if the purpose is to win. Now, of course, what are you going to do, uh, you know, in two or three years when he's well, a, when he's eighty exactly. something years old? No, that exactly that's right. But just in that one race, one on one, I think he'd be our best candidate. And and why do you feel that way? Well, I think he's he basically can't be attacked. He's he's incredibly likable. 
I think the contrast in terms of just sheer likability um, is enormous. And, you know, with, with the loss of his son, his long history, his, his ability to appeal to the, the Rust Belt, um, all, just a lot of reasons, I think, he's the one that would, would beat Trump relatively easily. If you get past him, it's a lot harder pick. No, it is. I mean, because yeah. uh, you know, I, I have said, you know, I'm as down on Trump as anybody, and and obviously his approval ratings would indicate historically that he has very low chance of reelection. And I keep telling people, I say, you f- you have to find someone who's going to beat him. Yeah, you, you have to find someone who's going to beat him. And and I'm wondering, John, and you know. You know, let's go back into the real world where you're no longer the, you know, the god of the Democratic Party. Okay. Um, in, in the real world, do you fear, and I bet you do because you're a smart guy, do you fear what's going to happen in 20, the 2020 cycle for you guys is what happened to Republicans in 2016 in that you're going to get so many candidates that inevitably the, guy, the person who you know is the brightest shining light, but might not be the best person to go up against Trump, ends up winning the nomination. Does that is that a fear for you? Um, it, it, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I don't know that I'd say it's a fear. It, it's definitely a a possibility. And in that scenario, if Bernie and Elizabeth Warren win uh, are in the race, then clearly they are going to be the two of the brightest objects. And. I'm not sure there are best chances of beating Trump. I, yeah, I think Trump. <laughs> I think Trump desperately wants Warren to be the, the, the yeah, nominee. I would think so. I mean, if, yeah, you, I if you're so. if you're Donald Trump, you are begging for Elizabeth Warren to be the candidate, and I, and uh, and I think we saw that when uh, your, your your good friend and I put that in quotes, Mitch McConnell, uh, purposely uh, you know made her into a martyr because uh, I think he was yep. trying to elevate her. You, is that, is it, was that your evaluation of what happened in that? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So Mitch McConnell. And, and Elizabeth's a friend of mine, and I, and I think the world of her, and she's enormously talented, and she's, right. you know, she's right. great for us. I get it. Uh, yeah, but uh, no, no, I think you're right. Right, because and it's in a main, you know, I'm not a fan of hers, but it, it may have nothing to do with her. It's just that the dynamics of her fit very poorly to going up against uh, Donald Trump, especially given the Hillary uh, you know, we, we've already, you know, we already have data on on a race that's very similar to that. Um, and, you know, granted, she might do better than Hillary in some ways and, and worse than others. But a, you know, a northeast uh, super liberal uh, female with, you know, the whole Pocahontas thing, um, as, as Trump likes to say, I think it would be very it would be a very poor fit for uh, for Trump. But I, when I'm talking about the shiniest light, though, John, mm-hmm. I, you don't think that we're in a brand new world now? Where where you're gonna get somebody who's a pure celebrity r- running and, and and trying to pull off a Trump on on your side of the aisle oh, in 2020? It's totally possible. I know Mark Cuban. Uh, apparently, there was a poll out the other day had him beating Trump in Texas um, by a few points. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I can I can see that happening. I I think that if Cuban somehow, you know, I think Cuban, if he was running against Trump as a Democrat, would beat him. I, and mm-hmm. and uh, and if you recall, <laughs> you, I don't know if you remember this, but you actually asked, uh, you know, back when uh, the, we were looking for nominations for a Speaker of the House that was not uh, in elected office, and you and you, you you were asking for a name that had some sort of bipartisan appeal. I gave you Mark Cuban. And, That's right. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I do remember. And if, and if and if you recall, Mark Cuban even then, I don't know if it was coincidence or not, but Mark Cuban then. Even referenced it himself um, <laughs> as, as something that he might be interested in doing. Um, so I mean, I, I, now there's a guy who would be a really good match for Trump. Uh, I'm not sure he's necessarily a Democrat that would please your base uh, in a lot of ways, yeah. um, and I'm not sure he could get the nomination. Uh, it would depend, you know, on, on yeah. a ton of the different factors. But but he matches up well because the celebrity thing is not an issue. See, I think. I, I think the, the number one topic for the 2020 deal is going to be, do you go with a someone who can stand on the same stage from a celebrity perspective, or do you go the opposite direction and, um, and, and try to you know, go total 
you know, competence and somebody who who people might, you know, like a new star type of deal uh, in the political realm. And I don't have an answer to that because, frankly, your bench is not that strong. I mean, you, you know, when, I, when I'm looking at who, who the possibilities are. so But I just right. I just don't believe that we're going to come out of what happened in 2016 and not have a major celebrity. Who is who is running for the nomination in some way, shape, or form? And I think there's a very good chance that you guys end up with too many, too many candidates. Um, well, we probably already do have too many candidates. Right. So at least the people that are talking. I mean, about. I mean people that, like I mean John Delaney, who is a very talented guy, a congressman from uh, from Maryland, is running. Seth Moulton, a I think a second term congressman from Massachusetts, whom nobody knows, is running. We have lots of people running, and of course, I doubt if some of them will have enough money to sustain that through the but you know there was an uh, i wish i could remember who wrote it but i've, I've read so much the last couple of days but there was an interesting i think it was john meacham uh talking about how the, the american people historically do reach a saturation point uh, with certain people and that ultimately mccarthy mccarthy's act he he, he fell because people tired of his act and there's still that potential with Trump. Oh, no, look, I'm not pretending that Trump is going to go into 2020 as a, as a popular guy. I think there's a very good mm. there's a very good chance he'll be historically unpopular. Uh, it's it just you, you have to have somebody that is an, a viable alternative. Yeah, but, uh, that, and, but, that, but my point there, which I didn't make very well, was in terms of considering what type of person it would be, it may be that it's a type of person who is not necessarily the shining object because the people are t- get tired of being of seeing a shining object. Fair enough. And and, and, yeah. and along these lines, I mean, and I, there's a couple of things I want to ask you before you, you know, you've given very generously of your time. Mm-hmm. But but one of those people who uh, a few months ago was considered to be a legitimate possibility was Al Franken. And, yeah. and 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 Franken was not the perfect guy to go up against uh Trump, but he wasn't the worst either. I mean there That's there, absolutely right. I mean there there were some elements of his persona that were well suited to go up against Trump. And I was stunned. <laughs> it's hard to stun me in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Um how easily you guys threw him and I don't say you specifically, but your right. your your party threw him under the bus for something and I know you you know this because I know you've you've read what I've written, but I, yeah. what, that I believe was a total rail, rail railroad job. That I don't I don't believe he was guilty of anything that was, uh, you know, in, in the realm of something that would force someone to resign from the U.S. Senate. And here's a potential U.S. US presidential candidate who gets thrown under the bus, forced to resign. There's a poll out this week that even Minnesotans don't think he should have right. should have resigned. Right. Um, what was your take on what the heck happened there? And am I right that, that this was baffling? No, I think it was baffling. Timing as you, in politics is everything. And the, the misfortune of Al Franken was that his case um, broke in the immediate aftermath of the worst of this. And he and, and the, the, all the women senators jumped on him and demanded resignation. Um, you know, what I've said about resignation, I was, I was asked about it at the, contemporaneously on, I think it was MSNBC, one of the national shows, and they said, should he resign? And I said, he should resign if Donald Trump resigns. Mm-hmm. And then I also said, resignation is not the answer to these things. That's just a measure of your tolerance for shame. And there needs to be a, a much more effective, um, expedient process for dealing with these, these uh, challenges and the, these claims. And I think we ought to have a mechanism where if somebody, and I don't know what the standard of proof would be, it can't be beyond a reasonable doubt because there's always going to be doubt, but if it's, if it's preponderance of the evidence, if the preponderance of the evidence in an investigation is that these uh, the harassment or assault occurred, then there ought to be expulsion from the senator house. But resignation is not the answer because then you're just you rely again you're relying on somebody uh, to rec- to do the right thing, which is John when he when, not an answer when Franken gave that speech announcing that he was resigning now. 
you know, I was in a very weird position because I don't like Al Franken politically. Right. Uh, uh, but I, you know, I've been defending him very, probably more strongly than any other conservative, maybe even more, mm-hmm. more strongly than any other liberal, which was really bizarre yeah. for me um, uh, on this particular issue because I had researched it, you know, very meticulously and was, cause was yes, convinced was convinced that that original story was not true. When he gave that speech, my sense, John, and there's some anecdotal evidence as to how he was responded to by the female senators on the floor after the speech. My sense is that that speech, as sincere as it came off, had a lot of people uh, on your side of the aisle going, what the heck did we just do here? Is, am I, was that, was that, is that an accurate assessment on my part? Uh, I think so. Yeah. So, so you think that, yeah. that Democrats in office agree? I, that think, this- I think a number of the people who were so fast to jump on him and saying you ought to be gone, think that they acted too hastily. And, and how much of that acting hastily was because of the Roy Moore election? That, uh, how, I mean, I know you said timing was everything, but... Yeah, uh, you know, Democrats actually do worry about being uh, seen as hypocritical. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Hypocrisy doesn't matter anymore, John. It doesn't matter at all, but, uh, you know, some of us actually worry about that. Like, um, yeah, I think that's probably, again, that's what I said. The timing of, of the charges that came out against uh, Al were, were very problematic. I think if it had been a month earlier, a month later, the outcry wouldn't have been nearly as bad, and he probably, wouldn't, he probably would have been allowed to go through the ethics process, which he wanted to. Well, I, I think it was a horrendous precedent because I think yeah. that, that we now have the uh, <laughs> we now have the blueprint for how you take anybody out, and and this yeah. can, this can happen incredibly easily, and with just a little bit of luck and good timing, they're done, and um, and there doesn't have to be any truth behind it, and yeah. that's you know that, that does that do you sense that people in in uh, in Congress, are scared by this precedent? Oh, we've had that. We've had this conversation. I mean, it's, it's kind of like uh, everybody says now. You know, if you're in a, if you're posing for a picture with a woman next to you, make sure your hands are at your side or in the air. Right. <laughs> they cannot be around the 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 waist of the uh, of the woman. Right. And yeah, I mean, everybody's parent. I've I've thought about that time after time, way before all this stuff broke. Because there are times, you know, women want to put their arms around you and take a picture, and it's right. fine, and you may graze their, their rear. Right. And you say, oh, God, is somebody going to accuse me of, of uh, right. copying a feel, as it were? No, it's, it's, um, everybody's paranoid about it. Well, they should be. Uh, and, yeah. and what I found amazing about uh, Al Franken was that he was so good at this, and I put this in quotes, he was so good at it, he did it for uh, well over a decade as a celebrity and was and had people taking pictures of him while he was doing it, but no one ever caught him in the act. I mean, how does that happen? It, it's, it's amazing. I mean, he, he, was the, he was the original David Copperfield, as, as uh, you know, George Herbert Walker Bush said. Um, by the way, one other thing, since we mentioned Roy Moore, why did Democrats... Want Roy Moore to lose? Well, because we really don't like the idea of having pedophiles who actually believe that that uh, the best part of our history was slavery and right. those right. types of things. Yeah, we okay. really don't kind of like. Well, that. I get that, and I respect that. But politically, though, All right, let me put it tactically. Qu- tactically speaking, or strategically speaking, we would have been much better with Roy Moore in the Senate. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, him being in the Senate would have been worth at least two or three seats in the Senate in 2018. Right? Yeah, probably so. At least. Probably so. And, and, and probably a few more in the House, too. Um, yeah, so, but I, I'm, I'm fine with that answer. That's a good answer. All right, <laughs> all right, last couple of things. So I, I, um, I'm curious of, the, of this year of insanity. And I, and I know you, you said that, you know, you get the, the constant spit take uh, to a lot of what Trump right. does. Uh, we've had a lot of insane moments. What's the one moment that sticks out in, in your head as the craziest Trump moment from, tw- from 2017? Well, it, it, it depends whether you, you're talking about the kind of the craziest moment in terms of um, political, politically stupid or policy-wise. I would say overall 
the the comments he made at, at Charlottesville were kind of the most offensive. Uh, that and and the email about um, Kirsten Gillibrand, but. The, the 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 dumbest thing overall that I think you did was to fire Comey. Well, you know, it's when I when I and maybe we're thinking about this question differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with you that that the craziest thing that happened with Trump was in relation to the Comey firing. I will never get over the fact that um, we didn't talk for. To me, we should still be talking about the fact that the president of the United States fired the FBI director. And then the next day had a Russian spy in the Oval Office and bragged to him that he did it because he needed to take pressure off of himself because of an investigation of that spy's country's meddling in our election on his behalf. Yes, that was my number two. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and this was was only a two-day story. Right. I mean, that's if you put that in a movie... Of any movie, if you put that in a comedy movie, people would go, oh, come on. Oh, come on. That's not possible. And yet, right. and yet, the, the, the thing that's most disturbing, there's two things. One, that it happened. But two, it had no impact on his standing in the Republican Party at all. And, and it, from a news standpoint, it was a big deal for like a day and a half. And then, I don't even remember what it is we moved on to. I mean, I mean, if that even if that doesn't have shelf life, what possibly can? And and John, I think this is actually the key to why Trump is able to survive. He, whether it's by design or by accident, by creating a new crisis every day, he forces the media to move on. I don't and, think there's any question about it. Yeah, I, and I don't know whether it's intentional or not, but that's and that's the problem we have with. Everything with Trump, with messaging, whatever. There's, you, you've you, you've got to watch what he does because there's always something coming, and so they don't pay attention to anything else. And he has, I think he, I think he has avoided a lot of accountability uh, by constantly being crazy. Now, On a, yeah. Well, since we've mentioned Russia, and I know that you know while you're interested in it it's not you know the top of your priority list cuz where your your committees are um but I, I am curious as to to where you're you, where you currently are on the russian investigation cuz i keep move i keep vacillating i'm i've been somewhere in the middle more towards you know the the idea that there's got to have been something going on here for all that lying to have occurred and and that, uh, and I just wasn't sure that Mueller would ever be able to prove anything. I have to tell you that after uh, the Flynn guilty plea, I actually went a little bit more in the other direction because I felt like, okay, by this point we should be seeing more fire, and we're not seeing anything from the actual election cycle. Uh, and it feels to me like maybe this was a situation where you had a bunch of incompetent people who knew their boss was very protective of the narrative of his great election victory, and that that was the cause of some of this. Uh, not all of it, but at least some some of this. Um, I'm, first of all, I'm curious what do you what, what do you make of that scenario? Uh, it's certainly possible. I you know, and first, let me stress, I'm not on. The Intelligence Committee. I'm not on any investigating committee, so I don't have access to what they do. And when Adam Schiff briefs in our leadership meetings, briefs us on what's going on, he has never, ever divulged anything that substance of what they they talk about or the witnesses they've heard. So I'm I'm just guessing along with everybody else, with sure. maybe just a little bit more exposure than than the average person. Right. Uh, I think I think the that. There's clearly there was clearly collusion between people involved with Trump and the Russians on the election. I don't know that it rises to criminality. Collusion is not a crime, and I you know and I'm always suspect of conspiracy charges. I'm I just don't think those generally hold up very well. I, I think they moved. I think they moved in terms of getting at the president and his family. I think they moved on to obstruction of justice uh, without question. But I think there is also an ongoing issue, and this is the thing that Trump's always been most afraid of, and that's financial connections in Russia. And uh, that's where I think ultimately 
where if there is exposure to the president personally and to Donald Jr. and to Eric, that's where it'll be. Political exposure or legal exposure? Legal exposure. See, because politically, I mean, and and granted, it didn't make massive news, but we've already learned, at least we think we have, that Trump was against what he said publicly, was negotiating for a Trump uh, a Trump building in Moscow during the campaign. Now, I mean, that, I mean, which first of all exposes him to a massive lie and, and two, you know, uh, an enormous conflict of interest. Uh, and three, you know, certainly raises questions about the issue of po- uh, potential collusion. So, uh, and, and that had no impact. Um, <laughs> exactly. and, and so, so to me, I, I wonder, you know, what, what even potential, impact there there could be out of all this because you know our attention spans are ridiculously short now i think a lot of people are tired of 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 this already even though we haven't even found out what happened Mm -hmm. um i I think that trump is using a lot of the clinton playbook going after Mueller the way that the clintons went after star which i find to be disgusting and very hypocritical by a lot of the same right-wing media people who went after Democrats were going after Star, um, and um, and and so I, 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 to me, I think the threshold now is so high for what would have to happen. For instance, to even potentially remove him from office, I, I think you'll, I think you guys will impeach him if you take the House. Um, do you agree? By the way, do you, I mean I know you said that you you believe he has committed impeachable offenses already, right? What what, what impeachable right. offenses do you think he's committed? The well the the. The number one, the reason I signed on to a, one of the uh, co-sponsored one of the impeachment resolutions was because when he when he threatened to use the government to take the licenses away from TV stations because of what the content that they uh, air, I thought that was an impeachable offense, um, and that that was added to the impeachment resolution. So uh, some of the other stuff, you know, Al Green's impeachment resolution, which I actually voted to table. Uh, basically impeached him for being a jerk. <laughs> That's what the charges were. I mean, it was, it was, they didn't charge him with any impeachable offenses. So, uh, but, you know, I, well, I think you have to remember that Mueller's investigation is a criminal investigation. Right. Unlike the, the House and Senate investigations where they're trying to fi- figure out what happened. And, so I'm looking at what possible crimes he may be investigating. We know what he uh, got Flynn to um, plead guilty to, but I think clearly he wants to go farther. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have uh, given Flynn the, the sweetheart deal he got. So he's, well, going, after, have, he's I... going after the Trump family, and I think the only real criminality there. I mean, yes, obstruction of justice possibly, but I think more the financial uh, involvement with with the Russians. Let me, I mean, and, and I don't want to t- take too much more of your time, mm-hmm. John. But, but you, this is there's something that's happening on the left, and I see this on Twitter all the time, that has me um, a little bit uh, uneasy about what's really going on with Russia, and that is I get very nervous when uh, people are seeing what they want to see. In a forming narrative, and, and, and especially when that narrative is very, very popular. And what I mean by that is there are literally dozens, if not hundreds of people on Twitter who do nothing but tweet you know, about the latest Mueller bombshell and how this fits into the theory that Trump is going to get removed from office. And since there's millions of people you know, on your side of the aisle mostly mm-hmm. who desperately want that to happen, there's a market for it. There's a market for that you know, that, that narrative spinning, if you will. And I just wonder whether or not some people have gotten carried away with the and enamored with the fact that every time they tweet about this, you know, it gets 5,000 retweets or whatever, <laughs> and they think that popularity means is, is the same as truth. And I've just seen too many times in my life where a popular narrative, if people want something to be true, they tend to dis- disregard any fact that is inconsistent with that. And do, do you see that as a possibility here? I think that is a possibility in virtually every aspect of our political life right now. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, so, but, but, but more so in yeah. this one because there's so much that we don't know. Like, for instance, you, I don't, I don't think you intended this, but you kind of uh, fell into this trap yourself when you said you don't think Mueller would have given Flynn a sweetheart deal like that unless he was working on other stuff. Now, I get that theory, and that might be true, but what if that's all he had? See, you're, you're presuming, and everybody on the left is presuming, there's much more to this, and so it must be a sweetheart deal, and therefore he's cooperating, he's giving the goods on Trump, and Trump's time is, you know, it, 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 the clock is ticking and he's going to get removed from office. See what I'm saying? The, you, you're mm-hmm. presuming something that's not in evidence yet. That's true. Okay. That's true, but that's listening to a lot of prosecutors, former prosecutors, and, and people who've worked right. with Mueller and... Right. Deal with these Again, I'm not. The I'm yeah. not saying it's not true, right. but but those people wouldn't get asked on television if they if they said, you know <laughs> what, I don't think there's anything going on here. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, they, well, that's true too. They, they, they especially wouldn't get asked on MSNBC. All of a sudden, they'd be getting asked on Fox because uh, you, know, yeah. uh, uh, you know that's the way the, the world works now. Um, and so, look, I I don't have an ant. I have not been able, and I've tried very hard. To come up with a scenario that that fits everything we think we know on this Russia deal. Uh, I, I keep going back to the lies, the lies, the lies, the lies. Why all the lies? I can't. I, I, there's no explanation to me uh, that fully explains the, the the breathtaking amount of lying that has gone on with regard to this. Uh, but as far as the impeachable offenses, to me, John, and why I'm, I'm convinced you guys will impeach him if you take the House, you, you have two built, at least two built-in impeachment uh, you know, uh, charges right off the bat. Obstruction of justice over the Comey firing is, right. is to me, a deadlock cinch. And he's in violation of the emoluments clause emoluments. Uh, yep. constantly. I mean, it's like, it's like every day. Every day. I mean, every day. So, so you know, you guys can impeach yeah, both him. Of those are, both of those were articles in the resolution that I co-sponsored. Right. I mean, they're, they're no-brainers. I mean, they are clearly impeachable offenses, and he's clearly in violation. Uh, and, and, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, I, I joked with you before we started this. You know, he, he just got to uh, talk about sweetheart deals. A golf course you're a member of in Ireland – he finally got his wall. He finally he got his wall. He, he finally got his wall built because Ireland fire, finally agreed to build a wall along the shoreline there on the I guess the 18th hall is it because that's the the one on, along the the shore that we. You so it's I, actually he he got so we there's a uh, 1.9 miles of beach there. He got permission to uh, build about uh, three quarters of a mile. So it's actually more than that hole, but at, at various points along the. Okay. Well, sure, yeah. it's a it's a wonder right. He, and he fought for that. Right. And originally argued he needed it because of the effects of climate change. Right. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but apparently that was taken out of the They the, took it out, yeah. They took that they took out of the out. argument, but but Ireland, you know, I mean, you you really think they would have given that to him if he wasn't president of the United States? I mean, that 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 seems like a, a you know a, a bit of a stretch, um, and I don't know whether the wall was really needed or not. I like the golf course. It's you know you, you know you uh, you were kind enough to take me there on a couple of occasions, and uh, I never really liked that 18th hole that much. But maybe you know maybe that 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 wall will uh, help preserve it a little bit. But I well, did. They do have erosion issues there. There's no question about well, that. Well, you know maybe it should have been a dog leg to begin with. I mean, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very strange sight line on that 18th hole. I, uh, mm-hmm. um, but. Um, but I did find it rather ironic that the only wall he's going to get built this year is in Ireland, uh, and it might be it might be actually an impeachable offense um, because right. because of the the emoluments clause. Uh, anyway, uh, John, always great to talk to you, uh, and uh, thanks so much for being generous with your time and for being so honest. We really appreciate it in this day and age where where no one wants to tell the truth uh, uh, politically, and we can always count on you for that. So it, it, it's definitely good for for my sanity, and I know a lot of people appreciate. It. Well, thank you, John, and and uh, happy New Year to you and and uh, Allison and the kids. And um, I love media where Gracie's involved. So well, she's a lot more pop- She's a lot more popular than I am. That's for sure. Okay. <laughs> right, John, happy New Year. Take care, buddy. All right, John. Thank that's, you. That's Congressman Bye. John Yarmouth, Democrat from Louisville, Kentucky. With uh, once again, you're just never going to get more honest analysis. 
of what's really going on, um, you know, in Washington than you're going to get from uh, John and John. Uh, you know, we used to do the television show uh, Yarmouth and Ziegler in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, I really enjoy my interviews with John, and he's a great guy and a good friend and very honest and. Uh, I expect him fully in 2019 to be an impeachment manager for the impeachment of Donald Trump, uh, which what might be his his star making event. Uh, I keep telling him that he's going to he's going to be the Lindsey Graham of the the uh, the impeachment um, of uh, Donald Trump. I don't, I don't think he'll ever become a senator in Kentucky, but that's a whole nother story for another day. Well, that's possible, though, because Mitch McConnell's pretty damn unpopular these days. All right, uh, that'll do it for hour number two. Make sure you check out hour number three, a special hour that you will not want to miss from a no- for a number of reasons on the whole uh, Penn State, Sandusky, uh, Joe Paterno uh, scandal and the Washington Post story that they did on that uh, this week that I was uh, heavily involved with behind the scenes. That's hour number three. And, of course, our news hour is hour number one. Make sure you share all this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. And also, um, do yourself a favor, and if you're one of those people who sleeps, when you sleep, you use sheets, pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are, mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.